Nir Barzilyai is a doctor and he is a chaired professor of medicine and genetics and director of the biggest center in the world to study the biology of aging. He is a recipient of an NIH Merit Award aiming to extend the healthy lifespan in rodents by biological interventions. He also studies families of centenarians that have provided genetic biological insights on the protection against aging. Several drugs are developed based in part on these paradigm-changing studies. He is a recipient of numerous prestigious awards, including the 2010 Irving S. Wright Award of Distinction in Aging Research. Please meet Nir. He is an incredible, brilliant man on the topic of aging. Welcome. Please introduce yourself. I'm Nir Barzilai. I'm a, a physician scientist. I have the biggest center in the world for the biology of aging out of Einstein here in New York. And I'm trying to target aging, which means I'm trying to delay aging, maybe stop aging, maybe reverse aging in several ways, something we didn't know that it's possible. We thought it's inevitable. And so I guess the question is, have you done it? And is this... Can I have some? <laughs> We're making huge progress. We really went from hope to promise. The hope was, you know, there's a biology of aging. I mean, you go, you go into a hall full of people. You don't know who has high cholesterol or who has diabetes or who has hypertension, but you kind of know who's above 50 or below 50. There's a biology. And just like you can treat cholesterol and glucose, you can treat this biology. And this is something that, as a community, we've done for more than a decade now. And we found out not only that we could do it, that there are some drugs that are in human use that can do that. And we also created the atmosphere so there are now biotechs and venture capitals that are looking at this opportunity to extend our health span and makes us live healthier as we grow older. That's great. So obviously then it sounds to me that some of the progress has been made in some of the lifestyle issues that come up with aging and death where it could be cholesterol, it could be diabetes, it could be a number of things. So am I wrong in assuming that this, this is an area that you're talking about? So, so there are two things. First of all, you're absolutely right. The environment is crucial here, okay? Of all the environments, the one thing that is most important for a successful aging is exercise. At any age, any sex, it's always the most important thing. It can provide years to life, okay? Well, well, I totally agree with you, but why? What can people understand about that so that they understand their, their need for the motivation? What exactly happens when you exercise? You, you know, there is a biology that I don't think I can, I, I cannot use the terms now, but I'll use the concept, okay? Because actually it seems for a biologist that exercise is the last thing you should do. You know why? 
because when you exercise, you increase oxidative stress. Right. And we all are about antioxidants. Right, we spend right. and we support the economy by right. antioxidant. And yet, we do exactly the thing that can do it most. Yeah. Okay? So why is it working? It's working because exercise increases our defense mechanism against stress, against the biological mm -hmm. stress of aging. In fact, one of the theories we have now is that in order to successfully age, you need to go through periods of stress. It's called hormesis. So if you go through periods of stress, you upregulate your ability to deal with stress that wow. stays with you as you grow older. And I think exercise is a perfect example of something that you can do once a day, get stress level. It can do harm. You know, exercise Too breaks much. your yeah. tissue, yeah. does inflammation. There's a lot of things, but at the end of the day, you repair better. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. this is kind of the mechanism. Yeah, I mean, uh, that was really a good definition. I, I haven't heard anybody really make it as clear that the stress of working out and the repair is so much a part of really preserving the continuity of how strong you can right. be. The other thing and, is... And, and can, I, can I just add, this stress concept is important. Look... When you have stress because you have pain 24 hours a day and you cannot sleep and stuff, that's a bad no, stress. Yeah. But to have stress during your day, to have stress that works gives you, and not, not only exercise, and to deal with issues that are difficult is actually part of how you can get to deal with aging better. So stress is a double-edged sword here, okay? We kind of don't want it. We want you always to be happy. But on the other hand, when you have goals in life and mm -hmm. you go into them and you sometimes don't sleep one night and, and yeah. struggle the rest, and at the end of the time, you're stronger. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And then the possibility of what you can do becomes, you, you become more sort of informed on what your potential is. The stress of working out well, maybe I can do splits and I can do a standing split and all of this stuff. And, and I think, well, that is a pretty big deal because it took me time to get there, but I'm empowered by that now. And I know if I can do that, I can do more and I can do anything in my work day because physically that's a pretty demanding thing that a lot of people can't do. And I love it. I love the power of that. So it gives you, it does so many things. Right. Your potential is defined, your ability to go to the next place. Right. And so I have another question about exercise. Do you think that there are different types of exercise that people should do at different points in their lives? Or do you think it's like, should you run till the last day of your life? Or, like, what are your thoughts about that? So let me tell you one thing that will follow throughout this, this hour. Mm -hmm. I'm a scientist. I'm also a physician. And my answers to questions like that are usually, do we have a clinical study that can give me a view of how it right. is? A clinical study means you take a group of people and in some, you do this intervention and the other that intervention, or you give them placebo versus drug mm -hmm. or something like that. And to answer your question, we don't have the answer. Mm -hmm. We know that no matter what kind of exercise you do, 
it's beneficial. But okay. what is the combination? But it's more than that. It's what the combination and how does it change throughout aging? And mm -hmm. do elderly people, elderly women, do they need a different exercise than, mm -hmm. than young women? So there's a lot to do. But the bottom line is, if you like one of those things, you should do it now yeah. because we know the benefit. We just don't know the comparison yeah, very well. Yeah. No, it's true. I think that there are so many different exercises that trying as many things as possible is a way you find out whether you like it and it's changing some part of you or enhancing your life. So I'm such a strong believer in feeling flexible and stretching and really having mobility is, is really incredibly powerful. So what, how does sleep affect aging? So, so let me just tell you, I have a study of centenarians and their families. Centenarians are 100 years old. I have 700 of them. Oh, my and I, God. And I have their families. Oh, my okay? God. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find longevity genes because in order to get 100, you need some other help. Right. And so those people are an opportunity for me to discover lots of things about their habits and about their biology. And early on, when I started this study, somebody came to me and said, you know, sleep is like the most important thing. I mean, if you nap during the day, that's the best thing. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I didn't know what I'm going to ask them. And then, but then two other people said, you know, sleep is the most important thing. Look, sleep is the second question that you ask, right? right. And so I went to, and I was doing it on my own. So I went to the centenarians because I wanted to figure out what to ask. And I go to the centenarian and I said, so tell me, do you sleep well? He said, yeah, I sleep eight hours. I said, do you nap? He said, I, I nap every day. And I say, wow, you know, they're, they're up to something. And then I said, so like last year also you nap. He said, no, last year I didn't nap. And the year before that, no, I didn't nap. But the year before there, I napped. And then you realize you have people who lived 100 years and you're asking them about napping what now or through their life or wow. from what age and what memory do they have? Right. at all to trust it. Right. And so I still had the question. I had the napping. And we actually wrote a paper about it because it happens that a lot of the centenarians who were napping were napping because they didn't sleep well at night. So that's not a good nap. No. When you don't sleep at night and no. you try, you right. fall on a couch, right. it's not a, okay, right. so you find it. And, and by the way, we don't have only centenarians. We have their children and the people oh. who are married to their children. So we have a control group and we, we have generational. And it happens that our control and our centenarians and their children, all, some of them all have some sleep problem. In other words, mm. it's not typical to have better sleep because you're a child of a yeah. centenarian or a centenarian. Yeah. It's not. But, and that's an important but, because the sleep is associated with risks for hypertension, for heart disease, from you know, all those things, the centenarians and their children, although they don't sleep well, they don't have those diseases. They are protected against those diseases. Mm. So on one hand, sleep is not driving their longevity. Right. On the other hand, if they have sleep disturbances, they're protected from the bad effect. Ah, very interesting. I ask that because I know that if you're not feeling well, if you have a cold or whatever it is, if you sleep, the more you sleep, it seems to heal and restore faster. I mean, it just... Oh, is. I exercise. Well, I mean, that, but, but I think both. <laughs> yes, I mean, I absolutely. Think it, I, I think 
exercise, sweat it out, yeah, and then absolutely. sleep you, and restore. You listen, you There's something body. really amazing about the miracle right. of the body right. by doing certain things that seem, right. you know, it's what we but, do. But, that, that, but that's in response to provocation, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're looking more at the chronic, you know, what's the yeah. chronic effect? Yeah. So the third part is the nutrition, right? Yeah, that's my next. So let me tell you a few things, and then I'll tell you how everything that I said is in centenarians, mm -hmm. okay? So the nutrition is really interesting because we were interested from my first days in the lab, every experiment that I had had the animals that are the control or the young. Which are? And, you know, rats or mice. Okay. And we had whatever experimental group, and then we had the caloric-restricted animal. Caloric restriction, if you take brothers, animal brothers, and half of them you give them to eat what they want, and the others you give them 40% less, so only 60%, they live 40% longer. Not only they live longer, they live much healthier. Yeah. And this whole discovery led a lot of us to say, you know what, you have to eat less, less breakfast, less lunch, less dinner. Mm -hmm. And by the way, when we do that, there's no end point of longevity in humans. They become leaner, and mm -hmm. we know that not being obese is good. So then we realize that what we've done was not this. What we've done was we came in the morning and gave all the food for the day in the morning into the cages of the animals. Now, the animals were hungry. So they finished they the food every... in 20 minutes. Wow. And they were fasting for 23 yes. minutes, hours. So it's not... Intermittent that... fasting for mice. That's where I'm coming. <laughs> right. That's exactly where I'm <laughs> right. going. So when we gave them food right. throughout the day, they, they were thin, but they didn't live longer. Wow. Okay? So that's where the intermittent fasting is coming. And I myself am doing intermittent fasting, which I discovered... Is really easy to do yeah. and the reason is I've never dieted before but if you would have given me a three months diet I could break any day but if I have an hour or two to go without food I'm not going to break yeah okay yeah. and 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 it's then clear. I can eat whatever I yeah. want yeah it's clear no food now food later okay I'll wait yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's so easy it's really incredible when you're allowed to have a little protein, or you can have a little, then there's no sort of regulation or right. control. But when it's no eating, then there's no other options. So you don't look in the refrigerator. Right. You don't think, oh, maybe I can. A well, carrot. Yeah, I can have a carrot, or I can. Then you start, oh, but then I'll just add a little of this. And right. so the clarity right. of no eat, eat is so much better. And then within that period of time that you have to eat, I think you respect the process too. You don't just eat randomly. You really think, oh good, I'm gonna have my yeah. first meal. Yeah. And you eat it with a different purpose. And being hungry the first time in my, my life, pretty but really, much. But in a hungry in a good way. In a good way, yeah. yeah. And, no, and you don't feel, feel ravenous either. No. And what happens after a few days, it's sort of, you don't even think about. So you do that? Yeah, of course. Oh. I'm totally into it. I love it. And I go to bed early, so my eating time is early. And then at the times when I'm going to a dinner or an event, I just switch it. 
So what time do you... So, you know, so it depends when I'm having dinner, but I'm counting the 16 hours since yeah. then, okay? Yeah. So it was actually 1.30 today, but I... At 2.30 on the way here, I took a little, you know, a little vegetarian sandwich in the corner here. And, you know, and I'm fine. And also, when you know when you're going to eat, you can even prepare and have good food ready for you. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, when I break my fast, I'm going to have my favorite salad or I'm going to. So it's, I, I, I absolutely love it. And I think when you add exercise to that, you feel so much better. You don't feel bloated. You don't feel like... Well, I'm breaking my records in exercising since I'm, I'm doing it. You know, I'm doing Peloton, I'm doing biking, I'm doing things, and I've been improving. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, th- I think it's working for the aging perspective. I certainly didn't lose lean body mass, even though I, I lost fat mass. So, you know, I like it. I think it, it comes. I, I think what happens is... The consistency, your body then starts to transform. And it's an interesting thing because as a woman, having gone through menopause and all of, you know, through your 40s and all of a sudden like, whoa, what's happening? And then menopause and oh my God, like this is crazy. By being consistent with exercise, I was able to manage some of the worst parts of what was happening. Even when I was exercising and feeling hot, if I just, I, like I would say to myself, you're going to sweat anyway, so don't, so, so you're hot. You're already there. So, and just go through that. So part of this thing we talked about of barreling through an exercise and seeing what you can do it's helpful in well, giving birth or in so many ways of breathing through things, going, getting to the other side of it. But I do think the conversation about eating too much food and eating round the clock, I mean, getting up in the middle of the night and people eating and going to bed and eating in bed and like, whoa, wait yeah. a minute. But what will it take to kind of bring that message to everyone? So what I'm doing, I'll tell you about messaging, uh, how to message it, but what I'm interested in is the science. Because, look, the 16-8 is just a made-up. You could have said 17-7, okay? I mean, it's just a make-up. And what I'm doing at Einstein, we're taking older and younger people, and the first thing we're doing is we're doing a 24-hour fast. Because... We are looking at that fast at the biology of aging. We're going to take their cells and see if they are getting younger or they're upregulate those defense mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And if they produce ketones, which you produce when you're fasting, and what happened to the insulin levels and the glucose level and all variety of things. So we need the time course of that. Once we know the time course, and based on that, and I hope it works, I hope the 12 hours is enough mm-hmm. because then... We'll design a study where we bring those people for 12 hours. In other words, eat a 6 o'clock breakfast, 6 o'clock dinner, or, or whatever. And if that 12 o'clock works, it might be an easier message Just to implement. Yeah. You know, So you do breakfast and you skip lunch mm-hmm. and you do dinner. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know, you can choose or you can do the 16, uh, yeah. 8, 2, but it gives more options for individuals mm-hmm. To, there, there are actually people who are telling me I cannot do without breakfast. 
I don't know why, and I don't know if they really tried for mm. a few days. Maybe the first day is hard. But there are people who said, no. okay, but if breakfast and dinner works, then that's good. Then you skip lunch. You yeah. have to skip something. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So that's what I can tell you. The marketing in healthcare is very problematic. We're not good at that. You know, we're not good at that. Some of it because of regulation. When you see drug companies putting advertisement on television and it's more about the side effects that never happen, you, you know, who wants to take the yeah. drug? On the other hand, how do we make our people consumers? You know, why do they get on a Coca-Cola ad and they want it? You know, we're selling them bad stuff or McDonald's, right? We're yeah. selling them poison. Bad poison, poison, but they want it. How can we turn around mm. and have some recommendation? People say, I want that. That mm. sounds good. It's a challenge. I don't have a solution. Yeah. It's a challenge. But I'll give you an example. Immunization in elderly is a problem, a flu immunization. First of all, people know that it's not 100%. Maybe it's only 40%. Mm -hmm. Well, for 40%, I don't need pain in my arm, okay? So... Do you get flu shots? Yeah, yeah, I get flu shot for years, and I've never gotten the flu since I've gotten then. a 65-year-old plus flu shot. Did you know that there's a stronger one for 65 years? And yeah, 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 of course, of I, course. I had no idea. So yeah. when they said to me, when I got my flu shot, Oh, we'll give you the 65. And I thought, me? Mm -mm, it's, no. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's me. Because I never think of myself as the senior in the movie theater and, you know, whatever that's about. Well, you raise another question. I want to go back to the immunization, but you raise another very important question. This is a lot of on our mind. There is a chronological age and there is a biological age. Oh, yeah. And even you can see it in people that don't take care of themselves. Some of them just look 10 years younger and mm. some are 10, 10 years older, okay? And this is something in research. By the way, that's why I'm doing centenarian studies. They look 20 years old, younger than their age. Really? That's the perfect really? population. And their children too, okay? And their wow. children too. And by the way, their children were the same age as the control, they have less of every one of the diseases, and they also have less biomarkers are, that are associated with So this with is aging. a genetic thing. Well, this is genetic, but before going to genetic, we have to identify those, because it's not all genetic. Some of that is environment. Mm -hmm. I, I'll just tell you, oh, to, so to finish the immunization, one of the things that elderly hate is to go to the hospital. So, you know, you have to find, if you say, you know, if you don't get that, you are 10 times as likely to be in the hospital, you know, you hate the hospitals, yeah. is a better motivation than you have, okay? Right. Now, in pediatrics, the doctors don't tell their patient to immunize. The mothers are saying, are you immunizing him, you know? But yeah. in the elderly, there's nobody who's shouting at yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we, you know, in, with this talk, how we change our elderly to consumers so that they want to exercise, yeah. they want yeah. uh, to do the right thing with diet, and that's a challenge. So our centenaries, if you're asking about our centenaries, they haven't done anything good in their interaction with the environment. Almost 50% of them are overweight or obese. No. 20% are still overweight or no. obese. Cigarette <laughs> smoking, 60% of the men and 30% of the women. I have a woman what? who died when she was 110. 
and she celebrated 95 years of cigarette smoking. No. And when I met her first, she was 100 years old, and I said, nobody told you to stop smoking? And she said, all four doctors that told me to stop smoking, I'm they dead. died. <laughs> okay? Uh, if, if you're talking about exercise, even moderate exercise, like walking or biking, less than 50% of the people, and vegetarian is like 2% of the people, so they were not different than the population. What they did is they had protection, a genetic protection. That's what we're uncovering. Ah, so okay. can you so find for that? Them, okay, by, by the way, I have some indications that you have longevity in your family, but first you'll tell me, and if I'm right, I can tell you about it. Do you have longevity in the family? Um, yeah, yeah. Tell me. My, um, my grandmother lived to 100 or 99 maybe, mm. she was going to be 100. And I think I connect with her the most out of my mother's grandmother. My mother's family is Lebanese, so they have a certain diet that I think also helps with that. My mother, my mother didn't live as long as her sisters. She had, she's one of five sisters, and the four sisters all lived into their 90s. My mother lived to 88. What did she die from? She actually eventually died of colon cancer. She had, she had a big colon operation. She had it when she was younger, had it again. But for a good part of her life, her diet, at the big, earlier her diet was great, and she juiced when I was 16 and drove me crazy with this big engine in the house with the carrots and... And then she sort of was eating funky food, and I think that had a part of it. To but but you still understand that you have a strong family history of longevity. Mm. With the siblings, with even your mother, 88, you know, at that time, at her generation, life expectancy was at least 10 years yeah. below. And the reason I know it is that I heard in another podcast that your mother and grandmother had their children at age 55. 55. Our centenarians typically have their first and last child later. Really? Sometimes it's the only child. Really? And by the way, we try to understand when is menarche and when is menopause. And we wrote this paper because there is an exchange in nature, there's exchange between longevity and reproduction. If in animals you stop the reproduction, they live longer, <laughs> okay? If you increase reproduction, they live shorter. Mm. And there is evidence that it's the same in humans, and we did a study in our centenarians, and we saw that they have significantly less children, both the women and the men. And so, of course, the first question, is it rearing the kids, or, you, you know, what is it? It's, it's the biology. And but, what's the answer to that? So because it's in men too, we think that it's more of a biology. Mm. So we try to ask to see what's the age of menopause. And when I got the results, the, you know, the data, and I'm looking at, at uh, menopause, it was 50 plus minus zero, which basically means all the centenarians women had their menopause at 50 years old. It didn't make any sense. Wow. So I went to the nurse 
was taking those, uh, it's, it's a male nurse, and he was taking those questionnaires. And I said, so tell me, how are you asking about menopause? He said, well, I asked, when was your last menopause? And I said, what's the answer that you got? He said, he didn't remember, they're 100 years old. So, so what did you do? He said, so I said, 50? And he said, yeah, 50. Ah. <laughs> he wrote 50. Ah. But it also shows you, I mean, people don't remember their menopause, no. cer cer certainly it's not 50 easy. years no, later. It's very easy to forget. And I, I think a lot of the reason it's easy to forget, because I have to really, for me, if I'm 74, and you think how far back that was, I like when I'm answering a doctor thing, are you still menstruating? And I think, how long ago? And I think, oh, wait a minute, 10, 20? I was like, oh, right. that's a long time ago. Right. And it often sort of peters out, and there isn't a done. Yeah, it's you know, not it's one not day. It's not like puberty. Right. Okay. It's not one On day. point. Right. Now I know. Right. No, it right. sort of fades. So I have a question. If, if shortening, if you have a hysterectomy, would that have any effect on longevity? That, that, that's a good question. But look, the hysterectomies are happening post-reproduction. Right? Or maybe not. Yeah, well, usually. So Post, mo most of yeah. the women had their kids by then. Yeah. So yeah. this is a different yeah, so you can't biology. Yeah. So It's very interesting. I think the hormone phenomenon for women, especially, it's such a roller coaster that women go through, and it sort of defines so much of who we are at different points in our lives. And I think that there's something to the end, to menopause finishing, that when you get through the transition, the relief of not having this hormonal agitation sort of making you more sensitive or things that men can't stand in women, like hyper about the littlest things or whatever, and, and finding that that so much ruled your behavior and not having it, I think I would never want to go back to that because the peace, and I think the longer you have that for sure has got to be beneficial. So, you know, this is really very interesting. So I'll tell you something that I'm, I'm bringing you to my perspective. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about hormones from the perspective of aging. And this is our problem. We can measure lots of things that are happening with aging. Some of them might be the cause of aging. Some of them, we might measure them and they might even tell us what's your biological age, but they're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. But the third group is the most important. It's when we have aging and we start the breakdown of aging, there is a response. Just like when you have infection, you have inflammatory response. Mm -hmm. When you have the aging, you have a response. So what of everything you're measuring is the cause of aging? What is the response for aging? Because if it's the response to aging, you don't want to stop it, right? right. You want to do only what's causing aging. Right. It's a big headache, and, it, and we're going through that and making, you know, making progress. But the estrogen is a really important story for us because... When I came to the field, I'm an endocrinologist, okay? And oh, really? the reason I went to become an endocrinologist, I was interested in aging, but I thought, you know, if we just, if we just give back all the hormones, we, we've solved everything. Right. And when the Women Health Initiative started, I was initially, why are they doing that? I mean, we kind of know what's happening. 
And then, as I became in Asia, I said, no, they have to do that. And when they did it, you know, they found out that in women over the age of 60, those estrogens were causing them heart attacks and cognitive decline and breast cancer and all these things. Which makes me think that if it really accelerates those diseases of aging, that menopause is actually a protective mechanism. Mm. Okay? It's a protective mechanism that we shouldn't restart. Yeah. Because when you restart this, you get bad results. Mm. So I really think that, and, and by the way, it's not all or nothing. Yeah, you know, it's... estrogen has some good things, but, but estrogen is really a protective response. And in fact, I think more interestingly, you know, animals don't have menopause. Mm -hmm. And our thought, and we're, several people are discussing it uh, over beer usually, because, because it's not influencing our research, but why humans needed menopause? Why did they need to stop reproduction? Well, the reason is that mothers, if they were pregnant all the time, they will die in yeah, birth. In and why will they die in birth? Because humans went from being on four to being erect. When you're in four, your hip is opening okay. like that. When you're erect, it's closing. So the babies became bigger and bigger because of nutrition, and the hips became mm. smaller and smaller. Mm. And I think at some point in evolution, they had to figure out who are the women, you know, how do you stop? Right. Because otherwise you'll have no mothers and no grandmothers. Yeah. And all humanity would be different, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is just a thought, yeah. right? So what, what's your thought about hormone replacement therapy then? I mean, is it uh, something, I mean, it is the topic right now. Menopause is finally being talked about. A lot of focus on it sort of out of context with aging, which I think is a little troubling because it's not that separate. But the conversation about hormone replacement is big, and there are companies being established now right. to distribute through very right. modern means. And right. in a way, I'm a little curious about how that's going to work for all the individual women that have different family history and have all of this. And yes, you can fill out a questionnaire, but still, knowing that person is another thing. It's an in-person thing. Right. And why should this person be a candidate and that right. person exactly. not? So what is the prognosis on so, that? So, look, I think this has to be resolved in a clinical way. So, look, the argument was, you know, you, the WHI, did it on 60 years old woman, but maybe between 50 and 60 there is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I accept it. And in fact, there is a clinical study that shows now it's six or seven years, that there are still benefits at early menopause. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I accept it. This is the problem. We talked about the fact that people have their chronological age and biological age mm -hmm. is not the same. So I think there are women that could take maybe estrogen for until they're 65. Mm -hmm. But there are women that maybe at 55, they become a risk because it is established mm -hmm. that at average age 60, you get into trouble. So how do you decide who are you? 
and where are you? It's exactly right. back to what you said in an individual specific. way. Very right. specific, yeah. I'm a little concerned about that because it does seem like the antidote when you look at the benefits, but then, you know, specifics are so, you know, important. So look, my wife, who's going to be 60 now, I hope she doesn't Now you me. know she could be listening <laughs> to this, but and she's 60 not, is young. And she, she looks amazing. And she decided not to take hormones, but she does have some symptoms and I do think and she doesn't take anything although I think that for symptoms you can give a little bit of estrogen mm -hmm. okay I'm, I'm talking about full replacement versus helping symptoms mm -hmm. or maybe helping symptoms at some time so I don't see it as an all thing I, I but agree. it has to be figured yeah, out I, I agree I don't think there's an answer for everybody I think it's impossible just the way menopause is so different for every woman but I do know that women who drink through the process, who are not working out, who aren't being more sort of controlled about how they're eating and what they're eating, are definitely going to have a different experience than women who are not. I also feel alcohol, I personally feel alcohol is aging. You are the expert. Well, I'm, I'm not an expert in alcohol. alcohol I don't, I don't you, like alcohol so much. But, but what are your thoughts about it? In all of these studies, are these people drinking red wine? Or are they? Well, so our centenarians are... Well, they're drink, smoking, so they're probably... Yeah, yeah. They're, they're drinking very little in, oh, you know, really? very little. So you cannot do anything with that. They're just yeah. having an average of one drink a week, they say. Oh, so, well, that's, yeah. Well, I think there's something but, to but that. Alcohol, but, you know, the data on alcohol, we, the American Medical Association suggested that men should have, women should have one cup of wine or alcohol and men should have two a day. A day? Yeah. And I think Are you that's, kidding? Yeah, that was the recommendation. And that's not, not... Oh, my God. That's not the recommendation anymore. We don't know uh -huh. that... And by the way, it remember... It was based on evidence, okay? It was based on evidence. But the evidence was established decades ago. And we're living very different life mm -hmm. with very different environment. Uh, exactly. And I'm not saying it wasn't right then, but I'm saying it's not right now. Yeah. I mean, our environment has, is so toxic as it is that we're having to deal with layers of bad air, more food with high-processed high fructose corn syrup and everything else, that right. to add more sugar with alcohol just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like it, it's going to be good. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, I think that's another switch that has to turn in the head. So I read, and you're the expert on this, but I read years ago and still keep seeing this, that at 120 the cells stop reproducing. Is that a fact? Well, dividing, right? Dividing. The cell divide, divide. So this is an interesting story. So yes, our cells have ability to divide just that many times. And after that many times, they become a different kind of cell. We call them senescent cells. That's not the only way to become senescent. If something goes wrong in the cell, they can either commit suicide, 
It's called apoptosis. Or they can become senescent. And both of them are actually cancer protective mechanisms. Okay, instead of, you know, something is going wrong, there's mutation and something, instead of being cancer, let's stop it now. You're either senescent. What happened with aging, we're accumulating those senescent cells. And we found out that those senescent cells are secreting proteins that are making the tissue around them old, I would just say, and actually contributing to cancer and other diseases. No. And when we, in the lab, remove those cells from animals, they are healthier, much healthier. And they live longer on, on average. They live mm -hmm. longer. They don't have maximum lifespan more, but they are, they are living longer. And this is one of the commercial things that are happening now. Mm -hmm. There's a pharmaceuticals by the name of Unity that is really trying to figure out a treatment so that your senescent cells can be, maybe every few months, can be depleted. Oh, my goodness. We cannot stop senescent because it's cancer right, protection, right. right? But we can remove them once they are there. Wow. And by the way, how do we remove them? We try to make them, rather than stay senescent, now to commit suicide, <laughs> to do the apoptosis. Really? That's really? the and mechanism. And so what it's... It's a pill? It's a... It, it will be a pill. There are some weak pills now that are in clinical studies. They work in animals. We don't know if they wow. work on humans. So is this like a 10-year, 5-year, 20-year? Like what, what, what's sort of the study period? So, you know, I always, all my life, I said 5 years, and I'm still saying 5, five years, years for the same thing. But <laughs> I, I would say we're... We're catching a, a, a wave, and we are in the moment. So what I would say is what Bill Gates says. We are overestimating what will happen in two years and underestimating what happens in 10 years. Yeah. And I think that's the timeline right, now. Right. So I think it's relevant to all of us. And yeah. it's, by the way, it's never too late to target aging. Really? Yeah. So when, when I heard about this the cell thing, I said, okay, all right, so... I'm going to say I want to live to 120. And I may not make 120, but at least it's sort of like when you have a target. And if you fall a little short and it's that far out, it's better than not having a target. And when you have a target like that, if you live a lifestyle that's anti, you know, getting there, and it's sort of definitely not going to get you to that, but if you try to sort of, follow what you think is a healthy lifestyle and keep curious about it, then maybe you can get closer to it. So is this a fallacy in my head? Is it all about genetics and I'm no. like, you're crazy? No, no, it's not a fallacy, okay? So we think that humans' maximal lifespan as a species is about 115 years. Now, there is a woman that lived 120 years, but, you know, about 115 right. years. And, and we die now before the age of 80. So there's a low-hanging right. fruit right. that we can do. Yeah. In addition to exercise and diet and mm -hmm. all things, we can do much better. And so some of the challenges are, and, and by the way, I should say 115 doesn't have to be the end. It's just, it's a different right. stage. Right. Okay, now I'll, I'll give an example of what will happen soon in mm -hmm. order to break this barrier. But... Part of the challenges is not that we don't have way to do that, but aging 
is not considered a target, an indication for drug. So let's say I have something and I'm publishing it and the patient come to his healthcare provider and say, I want this drug. And the healthcare provider says, I'm sorry, there's no indication for this drug. We're not going to pay for that. If that's not going to happen, the pharmaceuticals are not going to come and look at those biotechs and develop better drugs, right. more potent drugs, combination of drugs right. that we can really right. improve health span by a lot. And one of my efforts, uh, and, and successful one, is to start a study that's called TAME. It's targeting aging with metformin. With, metformin is a drug that you give to all animals, they live longer, okay, and healthier. Even much more healthier than longer. And we went to the FDA, and there are two issues. The first one is, what's the indication? The FDA didn't want aging to be a disease, and we didn't want aging to right, be a disease, right. okay? Because there's ageism, right? And right, right. people are fired and right. not hired and stuff. So you call them sick now? And, yeah, you know, no, well, no. Right. And ARP didn't want it. American Federation no, of Aging no, Research didn't either. want it. So, okay, but we both discovered it's not really necessary. What we want to do is to really prevent aging, but we want to prevent age-related diseases. And we have a study that will show that we can do that. And mm. once we do that, there will be a template to pharmaceuticals to do the same. So I, I think it's an obstruction that we can overcome. Mm -hmm. And we're going to launch this study soon. We are missing a little Here bit, a few million. Here well, I am. You know, it's interesting. This was. Am I too old for the study? No, it's Is 65 to 80. It's oh, okay. 65 to 80. Oh, yeah. Okay? <laughs> and chronological, not biological. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but what happens, it's really interesting that you're saying we're going to do it in 14 centers across the United States that are going to get their own patients. And one of the reasons is once I started talking about this study, Wall Street Journal wrote about it. Oh, my God. And I got 3,000 emails and phone calls and stuff. I'm I want to be sure. in the study. I want to sure. be in the study. And at first I said, we recruited everyone. We're done. Right. And then we thought, just a minute, those are people who read the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. We didn't have our emails there. They found our emails. Right. right. Okay. So the point is, they're doing many other things for their health. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We don't want that, okay? And, and not only then, then it started to become apparent because people said, I'll volunteer to your study as long as I'm not in the placebo group, okay? Oh so, my God. okay. Talk okay. about it. They're probably New Yorkers, entitled New Yorkers, I, right? And you know, me and, being one of them. <laughs> and, and because they're New Yorker, you kind of start thinking if they discover they're not in metformin, they'll get metformin anyhow. <laughs> So those people now are excluded <laughs> from our right, study. Right. Okay, we need to do it yeah. somewhere around communities that are not sort of out of the, that not yeah. that they don't care that much about right. aging, but they will take the yeah, drug if yeah. we fail. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And it's it's when soon? Yeah, we hope we hope to do it soon. In the meantime, there's lots of people who are taking metformin. Oh, they are. Uh, the sales of metformin, this, it's a generic drug. It's and very so, cheap. And so what does that do? It, uh, again, it targets the important hallmarks of the biology of aging, okay, without and being specific. And who is specific. prescribing this? This is a drug that is used for diabetes. Ah. Uh, most of the patients with type 2 diabetes are on metformin. And it's interesting because those patients on metformin 
they have less cardiovascular disease, they have less cancers, they have less Alzheimer's, and they die, they die less, their mortality is less than people without diabetes. Okay, here's the real question. Are you taking this drug? Yeah, I'm taking metformin. Oh! I'm taking metformin <laughs> because I was pre-diabetic. Pre-diabetic is one of the indications of metformin. And when I became pre-diabetic, my doctor prescribed metformin. Since then, I'm on metformin. I lost some weight. I'm not close to pre-diabetic, but I'm not off the drug either. So what if I took it and I'm not pre-diabetic? So, you know, I'm not sell- You understand that I'm not selling it because no, I, I need... No, 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 but no. From but I'm fi- just curious. But, but, is but, has there, do you know of people who are taking it who aren't? Oh, there are tons of people Stop who are taking it. it. And- there are tons of people. But you have to understand, it's for diabetes. So you're, you're thinking, will it lower my glucose, right? It doesn't lower glucose. It doesn't work on lowering glucose. It's not a hypoglycemic agent. It's anti-hyperglycemic. It really decreases your insulin levels. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's all it does. So you have the same glucose, but with less insulin. So that's an interesting conversation. So I have always sort of, not being a scientist at all, but when I think of insulin and I think of being healthy or insulin and diet or whatever, I think of it as being a negative. So tell everyone about insulin and what and how you measure it. Well, uh, you know, you can measure insulin level, but it's not a standardized test, okay? You have to measure the insulin and glucose. Every lab is measuring it different. So it never became a standardized okay. test, okay? But what happened, insulin resistance, okay, the resistance to the action of insulin has become a hallmark of this metabolic abnormality of aging, Mm -hmm. okay? And so people who are insulin resistant need more insulin in order to get this glucose into their muscle. But this high insulin has effects all over the body, and it's thought to contribute to development of arteriosclerosis and some other, Mm -hmm. other problems. So we always want to be more insulin sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. With low level of insulin. We, lo- we want a, l- a little insulin to do the job. Right. One of the things, though, that people have to know is that insulin resistance is also a protective mechanism. J- just as I told you, we don't know what's causing mm-hmm. and, and what's not. Right. It's a protective mechanism. In other words, when you have too much food and the glucose goes into the muscle and it stores as glycogen and is used, there's no more space. So the muscle has to be insulin resistant and say, I'm not getting in more glucose. You go and store it in fat or somewhere. Right, right. Okay? So once it's a defense mechanism, you also don't want to move it, to remove it. Mm. Because if you remove a defense mechanism, you just get yeah. more things. Yeah. And some so of you the, do need a level of, right. of insulin. That's and, fascinating. That's really an interesting thing that... But, so, but, you know, I think the important thing to remember is that aging or this biology of aging drives the diseases. Mm-hmm. And the risk of age to diseases is much more than the risk factors that you know. In other words, cholesterol is a threefold risk for heart disease, but aging is a thousandfold risk for heart disease when we go from young to old. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with cancer, and it's the same with diabetes, and it's the same with Alzheimer's. So the only way to take care of it is to target aging itself. Mm-hmm. 
if we're going to be successful only in heart disease, yeah. then actually what happened now when you have a stand, you had a heart attack and a stand, then in two years you'll get either another heart attack or diabetes or Alzheimer or right. something because right. we never fix the aging. We right. only fix locally yeah. the heart. Yeah. So we have to recognize that we are in this stage now where all of us are getting old and this idea that you get old and get disease and treat the disease and accumulate diseases yeah. I think is not reasonable. Right. Right. When we know we can target the aging process itself and prevent those diseases mm -hmm. and increase the health span. Yeah, it's holistic, totally. Right. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really fantastic. Is there anything I didn't ask you? Well, I'll tell you just one thing. We missed a lot in our science by studying only male animals. Okay. <gasps> The biology, Sexist. the biology, well, no. the, there were reasons, you know, there were reasons, none of them is justified. For example, we didn't want to study mice because maybe they have their menstruation then and that will change. Okay, we had really? lots of excuses like that. And also with the money, we needed to think where we we're going to put the money. But we discovered in aging that the aging of, there's a lot of commonality but there's a lot of differences between male and female. Mm -hmm. Only the fact that females live so much longer yeah. should have altered us, and it's around most species, it's like that. Yeah. And some of the drugs that we know can target aging, not metformin actually, but some of the other drugs work either on male or female. Really? So there's a lot of us still to discover. Wow. Metformin is one of the drugs that work equally mm -hmm. on both, but even that, we're not totally sure. I mean, the extent, it might be more sensitive to men or right. women. We don't really know right. because nobody thought of it like that. Wow. And so is there any difference in women age because of the sort of the environment and the more aggressive role women have? Do they still live that much longer than men, or is that changing at all? I don't think, I don't have any indication it's changing. I just want to say one thing. Of our centenarians, uh, centenarians around the world, it's different with our centenarians. Centenarians around the world, 80% of them are women. Whoa. Okay? However, the men who makes it are much more robust. Really? Yeah. In our study, it's more like 35, 65 because, and that's important, because we need centenarians who have children because we need their children in our study. Ah. And a lot of the women centenarians don't have children, okay? Exchange of reproduction. Why is that? See, so now we, I don't have children. So we... Is there any relationship We to don't that? know. We don't totally understand the mechanisms. I mean, A... They never had children. Yeah, A, right. A, you know, how many of them didn't get married? Or how many of them didn't get married because something was wrong with them? Or how many were fertile? Okay, we just cannot really? get this information. Really, that is fascinating. You know, I never thought that I wanted to have children, to be honest. From the time I was a little girl, I remember at six years old being asked, you know, about having children. I was like, no, no. I don't want to do that. 
And so it was never something that, you know, little girls all want to be mommies. And so I never thought about it. And then I thought when I had so much pressure, well, aren't you going to have kids? And I I would start to lie and then believe it and say, well, yeah, of course, someday I will. And then when a guy got older, well, maybe I'll adopt. I can always adopt. And then it was like, hell no, I don't want kids. Like, why am I lying? And then I would look at the stress of running a company by myself and being in business as long without partners or anybody helping me do it. And it's extremely stressful, extremely committed to everything. And I would look at mothers and I would say to myself, I have an extremely difficult job, but that is connected to the emotion in a way, and this is very, it's an extension of me, but it's connected in some way, an intrinsic kind of connection to the psyche. That child is an extension of you. Everything, you know, it's so complicated. And how does that, does that not affect the stress I have, in, and it always isn't bad stress, it's good stress too, but do, is, do you think there's a difference well, in aging? But then I'll ask you, how do you know that whatever thoughts you had are not part of the longevity genes that you're carrying? Really? Right? Really? I, I'm, I'm don't know, no, but, that's fa- that's you know. No, that's a fascinating fact. Oh, because we don't, know, we don't know if you wanted kids, if you could have kids. Right? Oh, I could have kids. You could? I just didn't have okay. kids. <laughs> and, um, but I, I don't know what's the mechanism of fertility. So I have to tell you this story, and we'll end, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm going to kidnap you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, everybody who has centenarian knows centenarians, and they call me, and everybody, you have to see this person. And they're amazing, okay? Mm-hmm. And there's one a guy who says, a family who said, you know, our aunt is in Florida. She's 104 years old. Believe me, I have, you haven't seen anything like that. And I, yeah, I have. No, no, you haven't seen right. anything like that. I said, okay, when I'll be in Florida, I'll see her. And right. one day I'm going to see this 104-year-old woman. She's outside of her house in Fort Lauderdale or somewhere, West Palm Beach, outside of a beautiful house. She's dressed really, really nice. Doesn't look her age at all. She just came from Plain Bridge. And we're going into her house. and We're sitting down. And I'm asking her some questions. And then she says, you know, you didn't ask me everything you could have asked. And I said, really? What? She said, you didn't ask about sex. So I'm in Florida sitting with a 104-year-old old, and I'm, I'm become <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't plan. <laughs> What's that? And, and I said, uh, you know, but, you know, you're widowed and stuff. We, we don't ask. And, but, but what do you want to tell me? So she says, so... I became sexually active when I was 16. It was actually 1917. Okay? Wow. And I was thinking, wow, that's really early, I thought. And she said, until, oh, you have until? Until I was 93. Get out. And then I started yoga, but it's not the same. (laughs) (laughs) Yoga is great, though, I have to say. I've just started. I did. Um, yeah. Do you take but it I for get, what it is? No, but I, I, I think there's something to that. I think on a lot of levels. I think just connecting with another human being intimately in any way is life-giving. Absolutely. You know, I think there's so much to that. 
Absolutely. Out of all the centenarians you've met, besides having some of this commonality, what's the most extraordinary experience you had in or sort of revelation? Well, I'll tell you one example that is on my mind because, you know, Again, I'm meeting them when they're 100 years old and I'm trying to figure out their life, which they don't remember so well anymore. But just to show the complexity, I went and met another 104 or maybe he was 102 years old. And he was like the nicest man I've seen. Oh, really? He was very thoughtful. He talked about his family with love. His daughter-in-law didn't do anything wrong to him. You know, it wasn't like... And so I'm having this discussion with him, and I go outside, and I go to the first floor, and his son is there. Of course, his son is 80. Right. right? <laughs> so, so I'm telling the son what I'm telling you. Okay, right. this is the nicest guy ever met. So the son looks at me and says, you should have seen the son of a bitch when he was my age. He was a terrible, no. terrible person. Really? So then you realize that, you know, personality People say that don't change with aging, but they looked only until age 60 or 70. In the older brain, there are changes. Even if you're okay, there are changes. And the things that happen between 60 and 100, you know, there's a lot of things. You lose your spouse and Mm -hmm. you go to another old age home and you have to adopt and adopt and adopt. And at the end, you might not be the person. I might not depict the personality that brought them here. So when I have papers out there that said the centenarians are really, they're optimistic and they're good and they're good attitude and stuff, it's true. But I don't know that that was crucial for them to get there. Yeah, yeah. They probably had to adapt to that. And and you have to be compliant in a way when you are dependent maybe more on other people. But the adaptation is good. People who no, don't I adopt think so. and no, don't I, I think so. It's a yeah. survival yeah. technique that's right. critical. I know when my mother went through menopause, she had a terrible time of it. She was just ornery and tough, and so it was so difficult. I got married at 19 to get out of the house because you would never just live with somebody. I mean, that, you were all in the United States, right? You were York, born in yeah. Europe, yeah. So it progressively did not get better. It got a little worse. So finally, I said to her doctor, when she started to get ill, it got worse. And I said, I don't mean to be a bad daughter, but is there any way you can give her a hormone replacement or something? Can we just try that? And he did. And she was a funny, kind, sweet, happy person. And fortunately, we had a great till the end of life experience together. So there is so much that affects how you feel and, you know, whether it's hormones or environment or whatever, being compliant, that I think it's, again, it's such an individual thing. Right. Right. But, you know, there are still common things for everyone of why they age. I mean... At the end, you can age at different rates, but it's very common. And by the way, it's, it's similar in animals and in humans. Mm-hmm. Okay, the skin, the hair, the skeletal, mm-hmm. the diseases, right, right. it's all similar. And there's individual variation, but my optimism is that there's a very common mechanism to that. And I'll tell you why I'm so hopeful for being achieving even more. You know, you can take a sperm of a 70 years old, and an egg of a 50 years old, and you can fertilize the egg, right? People have done that, mm-hmm. okay? 
people that age have babies. Mm -hmm. And we can actually measure the age of the sperm and egg. Oh, you can? Yeah. Wow. But when after fertilization, the blastocysts form, and those cells that are going to become the new baby don't have the memory of the age of the parents. They erase it. Wow. Okay, so we figured out how to do that ourselves in this context. Mm. So we should figure out how to do it, okay, so that we can really regress ourselves to be young again. And I think that's the future. I want to be your assistant. Please (laughs) let me be your assistant. (laughs) 